You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Leadership Gap. The Leadership Gap. The Leadership Gap. The Leadership Gap. A podcast of unboring conversations and practical tools intended to have you bridge your own leadership gaps. We're your hosts, Jonathan Miller, he, him, and Laura Banks, she, her. Welcome to The Leadership Gap. The Leadership Gap, the most fun leadership podcast on the planet. Woo! (laughs) What are we talking about today, Laura? We are reintroducing emotional intelligence, but the second part. So we're in a multi-episode, what should I say? Like, I guess it's like a multi-episode tangent. (laughs) (laughs) We're on a multi-episode tangent around emotional intelligence. We did quadrant one, self-awareness. It's a goodie. And now we're on quadrant two, self-regulation. So what's self-regulation? Yeah, it's a good question. What what is self-regulation and what the heck are we regulating, right? And essentially, we're regulating our emotions, right? This is, this is all in an attempt to being smarter with our feelings. That's what emotional intelligence really lets us do. And so in order to better understand what it is that we're, a regu- we're regulating, these emotions, I, I, I thought it would be actually good to take a step back and actually look at, well, what the heck is an emotion? So when we think about emotion, it's actually energy in motion inside of our bodies. Our bodies are producing a set of sensations that are actually called interoceptive sensations. Fancy words. (laughs) And we then label those sensations with a word, an emotion word. And that's why cultivating self-awareness as the first step for self-regulation is really important. Because really what self-regulation is, is cultivating the capacity to experience intense emotions or feelings inside without having to immediately react to them. And so instead of letting the discomfort of stress, overwhelm, anger drive us, we learn how to return ourselves to a state of balance before taking action. And that's really what self-regulation is. Um, And that's kind of paraphrased, by the way. I just want to give a shout out to Amanda Blake and her book, Your Body is Your Brain. So maybe, Laura, you you can give us an example of like the self-regulation in action. Yeah, so it first starts out with an awareness that I'm feeling overwhelmed, let's say. Let's work with that. And so the sensations of overwhelm that I feel is a tightening of the chest and kind of almost like a sense of, a tornado in my mind. There, there seems to be like gears or, or my, eng- my mind engine running on, uh, at full speed, right? And so when I tap into that sense of overwhelm, I've identified that set of feelings as overwhelm in the past. And I now have the opportunity to use that as a cue to self-regulate. And what self-regulation might look like for me in this instance is... Typically, I'll take a breath, um, but my favorite way to shift my emotions um, is to dance, actually. Dancing? (laughs) Yeah, just actually a minute and a half, I've timed it, of ecstatic dancing to music that I would um, label as quite hype. (laughs) I actually have a hype playlist. It's pretty hype. Hype. And we're going to get into the how, because that's, that's, that's one of the ways that you self-regulate. We're kind of jumping ahead a little bit there. But that's still a really great example of you experiencing overwhelm in your body and regulating that overwhelm. And then what, then what? After you dance, then what kind of happens? Then I have a clear mind to be able to make decisions based on 
actual reality versus the stream of consciousness that might appear as worry, for instance. And I think that's what uh, is really kind of important here. The thing is, is that at the end of the day, I would argue we're always experiencing some sort of emotion. And emotions are at the core of what it means to be a human being. So if we're not able to regulate those emotions, when we're not able to regulate those strong sensations, possibly of discomfort. And thoughts. And thoughts as well, absolutely. Uh, they they kind of, you know, take over. I, I'm not going to say like they take over like we're not responsible, but they, they kind of take over in that they overwhelm our responses. And so we end up reacting instead of responding skillfully how we want to consciously. Yeah, and then sometimes we say things we regret. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, good, good self-regulation it, it really actually leads to increased personal resilience. And, and, that, and that personal resilience is kind of that mental resilience, that emotional resilience. And resilience can look and feel very different for each individual. It's not necessarily about acting calm. No, it's definitely not. Yeah, it's simply about having an ability to persist through challenging situations. And we just want to call out here that this is more challenging when our environment and our social structures are actively working against us. And so when a dominant culture creates societal expectations around how to behave, how to think, how to express ourselves, or even move our bodies and other kind of emotional and behavioral constraints, it really does require more energy to bounce back if our culture and our environmental structures are not ones that we authentically relate to. And so this is true both for organizational cultures. So if your work happens to have like a toxic atmosphere and it also happens in societal cultures, um, you know, as an example, when like white supremacy is at play. And so all this is to say when we're talking about resilience, self-regulation, it's obviously easy to discuss and it's much harder to practice, especially, you know, when when under these circumstances that you're bringing up. Yeah, and we don't want to be like those you know, types of teachers or coaches that are like, just do this. It's really like not, <laughs> it's a lot more difficult and we want to just call that out. And everything that we're talking about is really about a process and a framework through which to think about your experience and orient your experience in a way that feels authentic to you. I want to, I want to do actually just a quick recap. So we're talking about self-regulation Again, a key skill for developing our emotional intelligence. We're regulating our emotions. Our emotions being this energy in motion that's actually in our bodies um, that shows up sometimes very inconvenient times. And how do we kind of move through those, regulate um, ideally pretty quickly, and then allow us to respond really skillfully in the face of often challenging circumstances? Good recap? I think so. Before we dive into too much of the how to self-regulate, because that's what I'm super curious about, let's just quickly talk about what self-regulation is not. It's not these two extremes that I know I've experienced like all through my life. And the first one, the most common one that I'm really, really good at is emotional suppression. That is not self-regulation. So this is something that, you know, for example, you are experiencing emotion and the way that you deal with it is simply to push it away. Self-regulation is not about not having feelings. It's about feeling your feelings to completion um, versus pushing them away and kind of emotionally bypassing 
or spiritually bypassing, um, you know, what's coming up for you. And, you know, this is this is just like a, a, an extreme example of this. It's really common uh, when individuals go into war, uh, when they're especially when they're trained as soldiers, they're trained not to respond to those emotions, to those sensations. And uh, yeah, it becomes the way that they kind of automatically react to challenging circumstances. They repress and suppress those emotions. And that's why there is a process for reintegrating back into society, because we've developed habits, uh, maybe in wartime, that are simply not the way that we want to be responding um, in like day-to-day life. So that's an extreme example. And so what self-regulation does look like is actually being aware of the difficult sensations and thoughts that are coming up for you and really training yourself to be able to sit with them for periods of time to then have that experience be integrated into your being instead of pushed away. And the way this showed up for me in my life for many, many years is I just made being angry very wrong. Like you're not supposed to be angry. Like you're supposed to be happy all the time. Yeah, like when we first met, I (laughs) legitimately thought you might be a sociopath. Yeah, and that's a habit that I've been undoing for many years now. And it's still there. It's still so strong. I've just been practicing it for so long. Um, But experiencing my emotions more and more in a safe environment with you as well, Mm -hmm. allowing me to express my anger and my sadness uh, has been an incredible journey. And it's made me um, uh, a better leader and what what's what's really cool about it is I get to move through those emotions way faster. Like I just experienced the anger, the frustration, that sadness, and then like it's gone. And interestingly, when you're open to having that experience of, you know, I guess what one would call like more negative emotions. The... I prefer the term unpleasant emotions, actually, because we don't want to positive negative it. It's not a bad emotion. Yeah, let's. Yeah, thanks for the correction. So we get this access to unpleasant emotions gives us access to the whole spectrum of pleasant emotions as well, which are slightly more desirable. And we won't get into the problem around that. That reminds me of a quote, actually, Brene Brown, huge fan. Uh, She talks a lot about vulnerability and shame and guilt and all of that. And she says, when it comes to emotions, we try to numb ourselves to the unpleasant ones, but you can't selectively numb. Mm -hmm. And so when you end up numbing, those anger, sadness, whatever those unpleasant Guilt. emotions, yeah. you end up numbing some of the po- like you know the more pleasant ones as well. All of them. Yeah. Okay. So, self-regulation is not, not emotional, emotional suppression. suppression. That's yeah. right. The second thing that self-regulation is not is it is not what I would call the scorched earth policy. This this reminds me of the common the common saying of the idea of wearing your heart on your sleeve. I'm just going to tell everyone how I feel and they have to deal with it. Yeah. And this is a classic example of this other distinction we like to use, the the difference between reacting and responding, right? So a reaction to something tends to be more automatic, unconscious, not thought out, less, just less skillful. It's like saying something you might regret later. Yeah. It's, it's reacting to your emotions and rather than responding, which is like where you have that momentary gap to think about, okay, I'm experiencing anger, I'm experiencing frustration, sadness, whatever it is. How do I want to respond in a way that's going to serve me and serve everyone around me? So reacting versus responding. And when we're in that kind of scorched earth policy thing, we're mostly just reacting. So when I feel angry, sure, I let out my anger, but it's not always at a time that's going to benefit me or benefit the people around me. So there is something to be said about having the ability to self-regulate 
so that the emotions that we do display come out at a time that's really going to serve uh, not just me, but everyone around me as well. So we're going to get into the how, how to self-regulate. But before we get into that, I just wanted to bring in um, a very quick trauma-informed lens, particularly around embodied regulation. We're going to talk about two types of regulation, conceptual and embodied regulation. The reason why I want to bring up uh, embodied regulation through a trauma-informed lens is because a lot of people have, you know, unresolved trauma or may have gone to psychotherapy for trauma and they haven't necessarily integrated their bodily experience in their healing journey yet. And so if you have experienced trauma and you haven't worked with a uh, practitioner who has worked with you to um, reassociate with your body, then I want to offer just going through this path, um, treading lightly. Um, sometimes embodied practices, if not led with a professional, can trigger trauma reactions. And we really recommend having kind of professional support if closing your eyes and sitting still feels particularly intense and emotionally triggering and has you kind of um, stepping into flashbacks. You definitely want to chat with someone if, if that's going on. Okay, so how to self-regulate. And like Laura said, we're going to look at two methods of self-regulation. Which is very uncommon, I would say. I think that we're like really stepping into a cool couple of distinctions here. I'm just going to brush this dust off my shoulder. Here. <laughs> uh, so two kinds of self-regulation. One we hear a lot about, and we're going to cover, this might sound familiar to you, is this embodied self-regulation. Um, it's, you know, it, it's going to sound very familiar. The, the second one is a conceptual self-regulation as well. So really two really cool, unique lenses on how to bring self-regulation. And the key is that both work best when done together. Okay. That's, that's the important thing. Remember this one is not better than the other. They're both two sides of the same coin. We want to work on both of them. Now, as a kind of like a, a, a mantra, process. like a process mantra thing to outline kind of how it is that we're, we're, we're going to go through. We want to remember state before story. So changing your bodily state before you change your thoughts. Okay. So in that, in, in ode to that, let's talk about body. our bodily state. Yeah. The embodied self-regulation. What we mean by embodied self-regulation is really just regulating the experience of the body's energy. So that could look like crying, yelling, dancing, jumping jacks, centering. It really is about expelling energy in some way that will have us release the built up tension that we're experiencing internally um, due to some unserving thoughts that we might be having. And that's a way that we recommend releasing tension in the long term is having some go-to actions or steps to take to really release that energy. But you can also release the energy preemptively. And this is why um, experts and us, we say that, um, you know, exercise is a really important uh, practice to take on, um, sweating, really being able to get into that cardio mode because it actually helps your body release tension preemptively. And so there's two kind of things to focus on here. One is what you're going to do in the moment to self-regulate. So changing your state versus long-term preemptive practices that help you create less tension. So we've already mentioned that self-regulation isn't about pushing our feelings away. Don't do that. And that means that we practice and encourage others to actually feel their feelings 
to completion, right? So this is our invitation for you. And, and sometimes we hear people say that, you know, if they did this, they would just feel their feelings all the time. Like they never per- end. What yeah. do you mean feeling them to completion? And that's, and that's actually why we've distinguished the difference between this conceptual self-awareness and embodied self-awareness, right? Our bodies actually only need about mm, 90 seconds to release tension completely. And what actually has us feeling feelings in perpetuity is not like just like experiencing all the time, but it's actually ruminating thoughts that continuously feed this tension. Wait, what? Yeah. So, for example, we had a situation a few months ago with a, uh, a landlord that wasn't agreeing, wasn't seeing the same point of view as us, uh, despite lots of uh, conversations. It was a bed bug situation. It was a bed Classic. bug situation with a with a, and lots of drama ensuing, <laughs> unfortunate. And so, you know, I saw myself as 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 experienced as I am with self regulating. You know, I would self regulate. I I would release tension in my body. I would breathe it out. I would move my body as needed. But I allowed those thoughts to continue to ruminate and ruminate. And so for. Oh, weeks, May, like weeks. Now it's been a few months. I've like kind of forgot about it. it sometimes hasn't, they slip up. Sometimes they slip like, up, but mostly. God damn it. Yeah, mostly it's been months now. So it's like kind of, you know, time heal all the wounds thing. Bugs. <laughs> but for those like for weeks afterwards, basically like any time that I wasn't really mindful, my mind would immediately like play back the conversations, the situation. What you should have said, what you didn't say. That's it. And so there was that anger, that tension filling up in my body. So that's the the feelings in perpetuity, right? So an example of allowing my thoughts to run amok and that was causing that tension. Yeah, like well, an example for me is, I don't know if this happens to anyone else. I'm pretty sure it's like a human thing is when you stop crying, like you've been crying maybe for like half an hour or something. Maybe, maybe that's a little long, but maybe not. Um, and all of a sudden you stop crying and you kind of like this calm washes over you. Yeah. And what happens to me is all of a sudden I'll have another thought and I'll immediately start crying again. And that's kind of this, another example of how this cycle shows up. Yeah. So our systems are essentially just reacting to our thoughts. And that's why we're going to talk about this second big piece of conceptual self-regulation. So the regulation of our thoughts. We talked about embodied regulation, expelling that energy, getting that tension out of our body. And now we're going to talk about the mind, the thoughts. Because our thoughts, like we mentioned, feed our feelings. And so exploring our beliefs, assumptions, and interpretations of a given scenario helps us break that cycle of rumination down and really allows us to change our story and our narrative around any given situation. So let, let's actually break this down a little bit. Let's, so we talk about the story narrative. Like, like what exactly is that, right? And there's this very important distinction that's critical for us to make as a human being, as leaders. And it's this, the difference between what happened and our stories about what happened. Our interpretations, our perceptions about what happened. And the difference you can really tell between the two. I love this little kind of technique. This is what I always talk to my clients about is imagining a CCTV camera or just any video camera. If you had a video camera in the corner of the room, you know, videotaping the situation. Videotaping. Video- wow. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm dating myself. Here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> recording, the, <laughs> recording the situation. Anything, what you would see on that taping afterwards is 
what like people were doing with their bodies, maybe how they were moving, and then like the words they were saying, and that's pretty much it. And maybe some like facial expressions and stuff. You wouldn't see actually the interpretations. You wouldn't see the feelings, maybe that they were experiencing. We would we would uh we would see that they were they were frowning or that they were furling their eyes or they were uh their their shoulders were tensing up. But we weren't seeing feelings specifically. We were seeing body motions in their face and in their bodies, right? So let's let's actually let's get a little less conceptual. Let's put this into an example, okay? You're at this client presentation, and the client, after you came through with this presentation, they give you critical feedback on your presentation. And, you know, this has happened to all of us. You're not taking it well, okay? So what happened is that if you imagine that video camera, they said a bunch of words. There was an exchange between you and them. Yeah, they said words like didn't like, not good, whatever it is. They said a bunch of words. That's what happened. We're talking about the hypothetical objective view of the situation that we don't really have access to, but we can perceive. I appreciate how objectively you're tackling this. Thing. Let's, let's, we're no, not gonna, it's true because like... Uh, like literally like trying to approach a system um a situation objectively is actually it's, it's impossible. impossible yeah like we're subjective creatures we are subjective we're getting so a little like, philosophical here <laughs> you know but like people do bring it up like it's it true. really is it's like true. kind of problematic to i think say, it's a good like, side note you should just be objective about it absolutely okay so pure objectivity not really thing but like as objective as possible from our subjective standpoint what happened is that they said these words and then what you made it mean aka the story narrative is that your work is not good, that you're letting your client down, et cetera, et cetera, right? Brene Brown, she, she, she says, again, that the, the story that I'm telling myself is, like, I love that little kind of cue, right? So that's kind of what happened and then the story. And the key is that that story that, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm letting down my client, that story can actually shift based on our perceptions about what happened, right? And that means that we have the power to change that story and our narrative around any situation that we come across. So what self-regulation, what conceptual self-regulation would look like in this case is really exploring other possible interpretations to help us weaken our story that isn't serving us and then help us shift into other thoughts that do. So let's go quickly flipping back to that example. Client gives us feedback. They say words like, not good, didn't like, blah, blah, blah. Initially, I had this story of I'm, I'm not good, I'm letting down my client, but instead, maybe I'm going to shift my interpretation to... What a great opportunity to get wow. better at my craft. Oh, my goodness. Wow, if this client hadn't shown me, this next client meeting definitely would have been absolutely terrible. Or um, at least in can be at play. So at least I didn't lose the contract. Yeah, just all sorts of things. But the the fact is that none of none of those interpretations, not one of them, is like the absolute truth. They're all possible stories that we can take. And uh, in the words of one of our mentors, if you're going to make up a story, you might as well make it good. <laughs> okay, so let's dive into actually our recommended tool for how to like dissect this more carefully. And that's what we call the hands five interpretation. Is that what we're calling it? The tool? No. What do you want to call this tool? The five interpretations. The five interpretations. <laughs> okay, so here's how the tool works. Basically, and we use this a lot with our clients, is when we 
hear that there's a possible story play. There's an interpretation possibly at play. The best thing to do is you take your hand, any hand, doesn't matter, and you kind of like put it on the desk in front of you or put it in the air in front of you. And you look at your five fingers, okay? Each finger is going to represent a possible interpretation. So you start with the thumb, and the thumb is what the dominant interpretation is right now. So in my client situation, it means that I'm letting my client down. That's like the and main- And you're not good enough. And I'm, and I'm not good enough. That's what the thumb means. Now, what are other possible interpretations? Well, we can talk about the one before with like, well, you know, this is preparation for the big leagues. We can talk about another interpretation. Oh, I, I, I was off my game. I didn't really have a good night's sleep. I can do another interpretation of like, oh, you know, my clients was mentioning this. They, maybe they didn't have a good sleep or they didn't eat or they had some bad news right before this meeting. And then what I like to do is for the pinky, when I get to that finger, come up with like a kind of a silly story, but that's possible. Like your client was possessed and everything that they asked for previous in the previous meeting that you delivered the presentation on um, is now completely void and null because they have a ghost embodying them. A little bit on the crazy side, but <laughs> it's totally fine. Hey, and wild, it, wild side. Wild side. Thank you for the correction. And and funny enough, that kind of happened in a project that we were running, right? Oh, my God. A little bit, yeah. yeah okay. Well, they weren't possessed. They weren't but... possessed, but like it was just, anyway, <laughs> we're not going to go there. So five interpretations, and then you got to ask yourself, well, which one's true? Which one of these five are true? And every time you're going to come to the answer of like none of them or all of them. because None of them and all of them could be true. Exactly. And that's where you really get this power to choose. You're like, okay, well... It's either I'm letting my client down or um, this is a great opportunity or they're possessed. I mean, the story that works best for me is that they're, they're possessed, possessed, obviously. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm going to choose, right? <laughs> okay. So what's uh, so that's kind of how you can use this great tool of the five interpretations. And something that we want to bring into this conversation is the process of making up stories is our brain's job. We are constantly you know, thinking habitually uh, around, you know, assessing our environment and making sure that we're safe. And we get into these habit patterns of our neurocircuitry firing in a specific way. We're actually practicing certain thoughts. So a thought that I had practiced for a better part of my life is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I would think look out into my environment and into my social interactions and actively practice hearing and thinking that I wasn't good enough. And, and there's one, there's, that's why there's one, a saying that I absolutely love um, from Strozzi Institute. A lot of the instructors talk about the fact that you're always practicing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If you think of your brain circuitry as a raging river, creating an interruption in that is like digging out a branch of that river to ultimately change the direction of the river. So if my raging river is saying, I'm not good enough, that Mekong is going to be flowing with the force of- The, the Mekong River? The Mekong, <laughs> the Mekong River. Huge river in, in Asia, <laughs> in by the way. I mean, yeah. a beautiful river, yeah. And so, you know, starting the practice of digging out one of the banks and redirecting that river to simply as I am good enough, uh, or even as wild as I'm freaking awesome, that is going to take some time, lots of effort to eventually redirect the flow of that 
and, and actually physically make new neural connections to be able to have that thought stream much more fluidly. And you know why I love this analogy of the raging river is because it really plays perfectly into the saying of um, old, old habits die hard. And, it, and, and it's this idea that like, even, even if you, you know, we have that, the raging Mekong, and then there's Laura with her little shovel digging one little thing at a time. And then over the long run, she moves this raging river of I'm not good enough and creates a, an even more raging river of I'm awesome. That river of I'm not good enough, it's still there. Yeah, the, that, the that, scar of the scar that is there. river is still there. So it's and very it can... easy to fall into those exactly. old patterns. Yeah. Yeah. So interrupting that brain circuitry to disrupt those thoughts and practice new ones is going to have a long-term effect on how your brain habitually fires and the river's direction will eventually change completely. And to have long-term thought pattern change, you got to start somewhere, right? It can feel super awkward at first. It really, really can. And it can also feel untrue at times. So sometimes I'll have days where I'm freaking awesome doesn't feel as natural as it does today, for instance. And so the trick is to keep practicing and bring yourself some grace in those awkward moments. Yeah. In a nutshell, the more interruptions that you have from your stories as real things to your stories as just possible interpretations, the more you're actually going to be able to shift those more easily and your experience of the world is going to change. And, and as your experience of the world changes, so do your results in life. So quick recap, we talked about embodied self-regulation and conceptual self-regulation. Embodied self-regulation, how we're going to go about doing that, Laura, is that we're going to start expelling energy, whether that's crying or whether that's experiencing my anger fully and setting up practices like exercise, exercising regularly to preemptively manage that experience in my body. With the intention of releasing tension, That's right. ultimately to have you feeling more present and at ease. That's it. So releasing that tension, expelling that energy, that's how we kind of do it from an embodied standpoint. From a conceptual standpoint, we're really just being aware of the stories that we're creating and just really separating what's actually happening from the stories. And we can remember that tool of the five interpretation. And the last thing we want to hit home that we hit at the top of this segment is embodied and conceptual self-awareness work best together. So it's really hard to change your thought patterns if your body is full of tension. Your body is sending signals to your brain that you're in danger and therefore working to shift your thoughts when your body is in a state of fight or flight is near next to impossible. On the other side, feeling out your feelings to completion and still playing out those ruminating thoughts will continue to bring up more feelings, more sensations in your body that your mind will then react to. And then you'll spend a lot of time working to trying to expel that energy in the process. So basically focus on your thoughts or body alone uh, from our perspective is limited in its capacity to create true lasting change. That transformation happens much faster when the mind and body are both involved. One last note that we wanted to mention is that there is a lot of emphasis on self-regulation, but you can also use co-regulation to regulate your internal state and even your thoughts. So what co-regulation is, is really involving another mammal in the process of you releasing unserving thoughts and unserving tension in your body. That might look like going for a walk with someone, assuming that it's going to be safe for you, spending time with your pets, 
um, hugs in the world of COVID. That's why we've had so much, you know, hardship during this time and mental unwellness because that piece of co-regulation has been less available to us. And so really engaging with um, other mammals to be able to support our mental and physical well-being is certainly something to emphasize and not forget. Well, that that was an awesome episode. Eh? Yeah. I'm just, I'm excited. I just, I, I want to self-regulate. I want to jump up. I'm like, good jump. Woo, let's <laughs> dance. And one, one, one final note before we, before we leave you, our wonderful listener. This is a practice. Oh boy, is it a practice? We we fall wow. off. We fall off on the daily. And I think I've been practicing this for like nine years, and I slowly, slowly getting better. Yeah. So just keep trying, keep starting again. You're bound to be successful. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Level Seven Leadership, a leadership group who works with social impact entrepreneurs to develop their leadership skills so that they can take on the world's to do list minus the burnout. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe and leave us a review. Oh, or send us an email. That'd be really fun. And for more information on what we do, you can check us out at level7.is. That's level7 with the number 7.is. Music is by the very talented Chinogo. You can find him on Spotify or wherever you get your music.